Hi, everyone. I'm here with Ira Spector, and Ira is the founder of SFA Therapeutics, and they are they have an approach and a treatment for chronic inflammatory diseases such as psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis. And I'll let you know Ira get into the specifics here. But Ira, thank you for joining us today. And thank uh, you very much, Jerry. Appreciate your time. And I want to start out by, you know, let's delve a little bit into your background, you know, kind of where you started. Uh, I know you were in your PhD and, you know, research and developing these drugs and procedures and processes that can help people with these various diseases is a passion of yours. So talk, talk us through that. Let us know what that journey was like and how it brought you to where you are now with the SFA Therapeutics. So uh, when I was five and my older sister was eight, she was diagnosed with a then incurable disease and my parents were told that she was going to die. Mm. And uh, they dragged her from doctor to doctor looking for someone who would treat her. And um, fortunately, they found someone who treated her disease. Um, and of course, there was no daycare, no internet those days. And so I was along with all of these visits. The next thing that happened was the side effects of that drug um, uh, were so severe that my parents were then told she was going to go blind. They didn't give up. They dragged her from doctor to doctor until they found someone who would treat her for the side effects of the first treatment. Um, and she wound up with an incurable eye disease, uh, but she grew up very successfully, became a, actually a very successful artist. But I had a very profound effect on me. Um, I started my career uh, by creating what was then a biomedical engineering degree. There was no such degree, but by combining physics, electrical engineering, all the pre-med courses and applied math, and uh, started my career designing medical instruments. And I spent about a decade doing fundamental research in uh, the imaging of cardiac tissue after heart attacks using uh, transmissive ultrasound, developing 12 medical devices. And then I had a very big epiphany in the mid eighties uh, when I realized that many of the medical device companies being, were being bought by pharmas and decided I'd better learn something about drug development um, I did that by going to an a international uh, consulting firm, PA Consulting, uh, where I built a practice around building R&D strategies for um, device and pharma companies, and I wound up becoming a partner in the head of their U.S. practice. Um, so I've worked for pretty much everybody uh, in the industry. And uh, one day I got a phone call uh, from a headhunter asking me if I wanted to go to a sleepy conglomerate. Uh, that wanted to become a drug company. Um, they made uh, car paint, pots and pans, Chef Boyardee, uh, SpaghettiOs, Jiffy Pop, uh, Mops, but they owned two drug companies, one called Wyeth, one called Erst. And I joined them as the head of R&D strategy that was American Home Products in 1993. And we built a company called Wyeth out of that. So we grew that company from 7 billion to 26 billion Along the way, um, I went from head of R&D strategy to head of clinical project management to vice chief of development, running all of their clinical trials in 67 countries, uh, over 52,000 patients um, 
with a $2 billion budget and completely re-engineered clinical operations to be paperless. We were amongst the first to do uh, electronic data capture. Um, and we were acquired uh, by Pfizer for $63 billion in 2010. And I was too young to retire. <laughs> so I moved to a, a family controlled biotech in Southern California in Irvine called Allergan. Um, and Allergan brought me in specifically to help them develop non-cosmetic uses for a nerve blocking agent that they have. Uh, so I helped develop Botox for overactive bladder, Botox for chronic migraine, Botox for cerebral palsy, um, ran both their devices and pharma uh, clinical operations groups between Irvine and Santa Barbara. And then five years later, we were acquired um, by Actavis for $68 billion. And I was now 58. At that point, I wasn't ready to retire. I tried for about two months um, and uh, went uh, to a company called Icon, who was at the time the number five or so contract research organization in the world um, back in the East Coast um, and built their scientific consulting group, uh, all of their MDs and PhDs who are associated with writing clinical trials and designing studies and strategies for clients, built that team. Uh, they are, by the way, now the number two uh, in the world. They've done very well. But I discovered that my first love was developing drugs. So after three years of helping them build that business, I was sort of looking around for what to do next. And I was at a point in my career where I wanted to do something that was my passion. And by this point, I had developed 34 approved drugs. It's now 35 because the World Health Organization took one of the drugs we were working on. and It's now approved. Um, so um, I was at a, a luncheon and I met a professor from Temple University. And it was the classical, what do you do? What do you do? Kind of a lunch thing. Sure. And um, uh, he was telling me he had a drug for liver cancer and he couldn't get anybody interested in it. He said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, uh, I'm an epidemiologist slash uh, biostatistician. I got a PhD at University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. Um, and I got my, my MBA, an MBA along the way at Drexel University. So in addition to my double undergrad, uh, undergrad background degrees uh, from uh, WashU, so I said, I'll come to your lab and look at your data. And I went to Mark Finelson's lab and I said, well, you probably do indeed have a drug for, for liver cancer. And he had uh, animal colonies that, that all developed liver cancer and he was able to show the ability to block that progression of liver cancer and the prevention actually, if you give the drug early enough. Um, but I looked at his data and I said, you know, Mark, you really have uh, a very potent anti-inflammatory platform. And I could pick off diseases and, uh, and match them to the channels that he was showing that he could downregulate um, in the body. Um, and I said, show me that this works in a human model and I'll form a company with you because I have seen lots of things that worked in animals that um, didn't work in humans. In fact, I'm kind of infamous for killing a project at Abbott that supposedly cured diabetes back in the 1990s. But only worked in, in mice. So um, Mark called me back into the lab about a year later and Ala Arzumanian, who's his collaborator, who's been working with him for about 15 years, 
had uh, done a small study uh, in psoriasis. Uh, they picked psoriasis as the model because uh, it doesn't require any sophisticated biomarkers. You see a result at skin, it either works or doesn't. I came back, I looked at the data and I said, oh my, I'm gonna leave industry and form a company with you. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, left, I left ICON and we formed SFA uh, in stealth mode in 2016, late 2016, early 2017. Um, we uh, came out of stealth mode in September of 2017. Um, and we originally were aiming the company at liver cancer. Um, and we pivoted because liver cancer being slow growing would take a lot of time and money to figure out that, you know, to demonstrate that it worked. So we pivoted uh, first to psoriasis. And then we discovered that this, uh, actually it's a family of compounds, uh, have a potential to regulate the immune system and could be used in a variety of autoimmune diseases. And this has enabled us to build a platform of currently six drugs, although potentially more. That's, that's fantastic. And needless to say, then you have a very successful track record uh, built up over the years and uh, thank which you. is now leading you into this project. And thank you for sharing the, the story. Uh, going back, you know, you, you started earlier than I think anyone has ever started their story, which which really shows what drives you. And that's why I love doing these interviews because, you know, that quote unquote pain point for you started back seeing your sister and what she was going through uh, with the with the drug treatments at that time. So thank you for sharing that. And it definitely gives an idea to those that are listening in and watching this, you know, what drove you uh, throughout your life to do this. So that's, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. And uh, so if I could ask you at this point, I know it's difficult to do, especially with a uh, medical type product, but give us a quick elevator pitch. Give us, you know, that quick uh, one to two minute pitch that kind of just, you know, here we, we've all, you've already shared a, the, somewhat of the problem and the solution, but just kind of go through that, how you're going to market, kind of the steps that you have to go through with whether it's the FDA, you know, uh, potential revenue, you know, kind of the team and, and, then we'll kind of dive into that a little more. So there's over a hundred million people in the world who suffer from autoimmune diseases. And when they go for treatment, they almost always go to the doctor and they have a so-called cluster of autoimmune diseases. Often they have not just psoriasis, but rheumatoid arthritis, uh, Crohn's and colitis, but they almost always present with multiple autoimmune diseases. And there's almost always and by the way, they have GI issues, IBS, IBD, Crohn's. We actually believe that that's not a no, by the way, that's the cause. And the current treatment for autoimmune diseases is we, we suppress the immune system. So we dumb down the immune system. We give them powerful monoclonal antibody drugs that suppress their immune systems. And if you listen to the 10 ads you see every night on TV for those drugs, Half the ad is the side effects, because when you suppress the immune system, you leave the body susceptible to opportunistic infections. Have you been to a country where you could be exposed to TB? Rare cancers have occurred. Let us know if someone in your family is getting a vaccination, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're doing with these patients is we're dumbing down their immune system. 
It's just as if if you had a headache, we said to you, well, take a tranquilizer for your headache. We're just going to dumb down your headache. We think that a defect in the GI microbiome prevents these patients from making substances that should be regulating their immune system and results in the body's immune system essentially attacking itself. So when we see autoimmune diseases as clusters, that's what we believe is happening. And we know, because I'm an epidemiologist, we've done a lot of research, that if you have psoriasis as a child, you have a 50% chance of developing rheumatoid arthritis as an adult. Hmm. If you have psoriasis as an adult, you have an 80% chance of developing psoriatic arthritis in your joints as an adult. But the common link is a defect in the GI, which can be caused by strep, which almost everyone's exposed to at some point in their life, or overuse of antibiotics. And I want to demystify the microbiome because there's a lot of nonsense and hoopla about it. It's a thin film in the GI through which substances pass into the bloodstream, okay? And it's the thickness of a human hair. And uh, it's, you know, almost everybody thinks it's about diseases of the GI. We believe it's about creating and enabling certain substances to enter the bloodstream that we've isolated, that we've determined have an effect in regulating the immune system. And we found that patients with these diseases lack those substances which you've isolated and turned into small molecule drugs. So the analogy is the way we treat type one diabetes is we replace the insulin in those patients because type one diabetics can't produce insulin on their own in sufficient quantities. We're doing exactly the same thing here. We're giving these substances as something called a prodrug, which gets into their circulation. And we're seeing profound effects in the patients we've treated already and we believe this could be the start of a very big new way of treating these diseases without the need for the drugs you see on TV and their side effects. That's fantastic. And I, you know, I will encourage anybody that's watching this as part of your profile on Startup Steroid, you know, your pitch deck is there and uh, take a look at the before and after pictures and they're quite, quite impressive. So, uh, you know, I encourage people to take a look at that. Uh, so they can see it. So thank you for sharing that. So let, let's talk a bit about then where are you at uh, as far as where the FDA is concerned with what you're doing, time frame, and that you know that discussion. So it's very important to me personally because of my of prior reputation to have a good relationship with the FDA. And as a company, we've made sure that in the messaging and, and discussions we have the, with the FDA to convey to them that we're a group of experienced drug developers, that, that this isn't a couple of people in a room who just got a crazy idea. Um, we've had discussions with the FDA going back to 2018 when we filed a, a pre-investigational new drug application. Um, and we messaged them through our written uh, questions and comments and they messaged back very clearly that what we're doing is a drug, that it's novel, um, which, you hardly ever see uh, the FDA making a comment like that. Um, and they approved us to go into humans for up to six months duration with our current formulation. Um, and um, they, you know, we filed an investigational new drug application in 2019 and in 20, it was approved. And in 2020, we started our first trial. Unfortunately, we started our first trial on March 10th, 
And on March 13th, the world shut down. Yeah. So we paused that trial. And because of COVID and uh, getting back to work, we restarted it in May of this year. But uh, we have a good relationship with the FDA. We expect to have, continue to have a good relationship with them. Uh, we view them as our partner, uh, not as a hurdle. And, uh, you know, we're in the clinic. We're now working on different formulations and we're in patients trying to determine which is the best formulation to take into the next stage of research, will be a, which will be a phase two clinical trial. Okay. And, uh, you know, with dealing with the trials, everybody knows that that usually takes it a little longer if you're looking at a normal, like a regular you know, somebody develops a mobile app or they don't have to wait for the processes of the FDA or, or that. But also in your space, a lot of more companies are investable early on because investors understand that and they know. And they also know that usually there's an acquiry, uh, you know, an excerpt or acquisition that happens usually a lot quicker because people see the value of what that drug or medical device, whatever it might be, can offer to the masses. So, uh, you know, kind of address that. Yeah, so this is not 10 to 14 years of development to take a product to market. SFA, which is, by the way, the founder's initials, uh, SFA was built to fill a very important niche in the marketplace, which is that a lot of big pharmas and biotechs no longer do basic research in-house. Um, they have often found it easier to go out and acquire it from smaller companies. And so the company was built to fill the niche of discovering and proving that uh, a drug works, but not building out commercial development, marketing teams, sales and manufacturing. There are big companies who do that very well. and The capital needed to build that uh, it, you know, is, is, is huge. And it's not our core competence. So our plan is to take the drug, and, and we have six, so this is our lead, to take each drug to that point in development at which the value inflection point for our investors is maximized in terms of licensing at the pharma. The typical deal in dermatology and autoimmune disease, those typical deals happen usually after phase 2A meaning after the point where we've done enough testing and enough patients to have a statistically validated effect that shows that the drug works and is safe. Um, so that's about two to four years. Um, and that's probably around 2024 for this drug. Who, you know, we've elegantly named OO, SFA 002. We just gave them one, numbers one through six. Um, but uh, you got the joke. Thank you. Uh, but because uh, we're not marketing guys. Uh, but the point is, we think this drug is most likely to be licensed, in licensed around the end of phase two, which is a 60 patient, uh, six month design aimed to show that how this drug compares in the psoriasis area of severity index. In other words, how well does it clear psoriasis lesions? That's the score you hear on the ads and TV when they say, X percent clearer skin in Y months. That's the data that we've agreed with the FDA that we will collect as our one of our endpoints for the trial. And that data we expect to have somewhere in 2024, which then we think will lead to um, a licensing deal for this asset. 
The question then becomes, are we licensing it just for psoriasis or are we licensing it for autoimmune in general? Because when I worked on Enbrel and I ran all of the Enbrel clinical trials, you know, Enbrel wound up with eight different disease indications and it became an $18 billion drug that way. Humira in the same space also wound up with, I believe, 10 indications and became a $23 billion drug. So the, the company that's most likely to acquire SFA002, we think will be one who understands and appreciates the potential to build this into a fairly big franchise. But we've got five other drugs right behind it in our, in our pipeline. So the investors who invest in SFA at this stage are investing in the company, not in a specific product. Sure. Further, further down the road, it's possible that we might create uh, subsidiaries aimed at specific products or specific diseases. But right now, we're looking for core investors who are going to help us fill out the current uh, the current raise uh, and and get this drug to where it needs to be for licensed to. Sure. And you kind of already alluded, you know, the revenue is it's a license based revenue, which is, you know, pretty typical. Uh, so let's talk about then that raise that you're doing. Well, what is your raise? I believe you're looking at a couple million, which is kind of a gap or bridge type uh, to get you to a the next step. And what would be the runway, you know, and, and what that would be used for? Yeah. So we previously raised three as of this morning, three point two million. Um, we want to raise another two, and then we're probably going to pause. Uh, the the two million uh, plus what we've raised in the past is focused on getting SFA 002 through the phase two A clinical trial and and ready to be packaged for an exit. Um, so, um, you know, it, the the current the current deal uh, is based on. Uh, a $20 million pre-money valuation, $22 million post-money valuation, primarily preferring safe. So we'll look at convertible notes if terms are right, size of the deal is right. But uh, yeah, this is an interim. Uh, we think probably when we have a good data readout from the current phase 1B, that we may be doing a series A raise for much more because at that point with stronger data package, our valuation will go up. And obviously, this is an opportunity for these uh, bridge investors to get in before those inflection points. Okay, fantastic. So one thing we haven't addressed, we've talked about your background, but talk a little bit about your team, some of the key players on your team, because you have an incredibly impressive team and, uh, you know, advisors behind you. And, you know, talk a little bit about what they bring. So I'm the S in SFA. Let's talk about the F, Mark Feidelson. Um, and Mark Feidelson uh, is a world-class immunovirologist who trained at UCLA Geffen Medical Center, did a postdoc at Stanford, and then was uh, recruited to work for a guy named Barry Blumberg at Fox Chase Cancer Center here in Philadelphia. Um, Barry won the Nobel Prize for discovering hepatitis B, and that's the lab that Mark was in. Um, interestingly, after that, Barry went to Oxford and the lab closed and Mark went to Jefferson University in Philly. Um, but Mark's a world-class immunovirologist and, and he's continued the work in hepatitis. And it's out of that research that this platform was discovered. 
Now, about 15 years ago, Ala Arzumanian, the ANSFA, uh, was recruited to come to the U.S. to do a postdoc from her native Armenia uh, because she had discovered natural products that have a uh, potential effect in uh, uh, blocking HIV. And so she came here to work on that and uh, met Mark at some event. And uh, the two of them have been collaborating in, in research now for some some 13 years. So Ala is the ANSFA. She's a microbiologist and she's an expert in uh, stem cell research and the GI microbiome. Then along the way, we brought on board King Lee, who's a PhD pharmacologist uh, who has spent the last 20 years in regulatory affairs. And King has very strong relationships within the FDA. So, you know, I remember filing our pre-IND package and King told me he got a phone call from the reviewer asking questions. So instead of the typical, you know, back and forth with paperwork, King, King actually has the ability to pick up the phone and talk to people. And then we brought on, uh, and I spent some time recruiting him, we brought on Jim Kerwin uh, to be our head of clinical operations and our chief operating officer. Jim was my right hand at Wyeth for five years, running numerous clinical trials and developing numerous drugs. He's He and I combined have six exits in the industry. So um, Jim is the hands-on, get-it-done operations guy who manages the clinical relationships. And then not on our uh, our paperwork yet, but we've just brought, a, brought in a formulations expert, uh, Steve King, uh, who has many years of industry experience in figuring out how to make drugs and manufacture drugs. And he's now helping us make the transition from, you know, phase one to phase two, where we're going to have to lock in on a manufacturable formulation. Sure. And I mean, again, a really impressive team. And Thank uh, you. I have to commend you for that, which, you know, makes makes it look all the more attractive. So uh, let's, you know, I think we've covered most of the aspects of, uh, you know, what you're doing and what an investor wants to hear in regards to what a company has to offer. Let's let's talk a minute about what you're looking for in regard. What, what are some of the stumbling blocks you've ran into in fundraising so far? If you're doing the sixth or seventh of something, investors understand that. So if we were doing another app for something um, and my daughter, my daughter can make apps for you. Um, if, if we were doing the seventh me too drug in a specific channel, investors get that. If you're doing new science, if you're doing something different, it's harder to get people to understand what you're doing. And we have a very big vision. We want to change medicine. We don't simply want to um, create something and flip it to somebody else. We want to literally change the practice of medicine. Um, that's why I, what I'm wired to do. That's what I get up every morning to do. My passion is to help patients. And, and it started as a young age. Um, I can remember in high school, my math teacher standing in the back of the classroom drinking milk because he had an ulcer. The standard of care for ulcers when I was in high school was milk. Bellevue Hospital in New York had a milk ward for ulcer patients. Can you imagine this? I mean, it sounds barbaric and stupid today, 
And then there were two guys in Australia who said, no, it's caused by bacteria. They isolated the bacteria. No one believed them. One of them gave himself H. pylori, gave himself an ulcer, and then cured himself with an antibiotic. And it still took another 10 years or so for the medical establishment to get it. Now, they did win the Nobel Prize. But the point is, we think the way that autoimmune disease is treated today is analogous to the milk warts because we're not treating the disease, we're treating the symptoms. And so for me, this is a very big mission because I think we can change the whole paradigm and treat the root cause. And what's very exciting is that half the patients in our earlier translational trial have had what we call durable responses. That means that after some period of time on our drug, we took them off drug and their disease is not recurred. Mm. Now I won't use the word cure because sure. it's statistically not valid yet, but the ability to remodel the disease is, is something that hasn't been seen before. It's not what you see with the current standard of care of medicine, which by the way, makes patients feel sick and they have to get infusions and injections and they can't do that. Sometimes now they can do it at home, but it's, it's still, you know, as opposed to taking an oral medicine, like you take your vitamins every day, it, it's a game changer. So we're very excited about that. It's early. Um, we have a lot more research to do, but we think that we're on the edge of something very cool. And that's, that's fantastic. So who, you know, investors, you look for specific type of startups. What is there a specific type of investor that you would like to work with as far as when they come on board with SFA? There are, there are really two kinds of investors that we've encountered along the way. There are passive investors who want to do something good and they see that uh, this has the potential to, to be financially a good investment and also to do something good for, for society, for healthcare. And we love to have them on board, but there are also investors who can add value. Um, we, we recently did a deal with a, a, an investor um, whose team was medically very, very advanced and they are making you know, they're providing insight uh, to us in terms of certain markets and how the regulatory strategies are different in different countries and how we might best take advantage of that. Um, there's another investor who is not so uh, medically astute, but is very commercially astute. And, and that investor has made comments to us about how to advance our commercialization plan, which, you know, is something we can certainly use help with. We're we're very good and strong, I think, on the science, and we're starting to build out the other capabilities that you need to be successful as a company. So we're, we're bringing on a, a fractional CFO, we're bringing on a fractional chief medical officer, and we're very happy to find investors who bring those additional skills uh, and, and can help us grow. But we're, we're open to both kinds because we know there are different different styles of investment out there. Sure. And that's, you know, that's very insightful and very, you know, that it really says a lot in your, you know what you're doing. You've been, you've been, like I said, you, you have a track record of having done this, been there before and kind of know, 
know what the process is like? Um, in in 2007 or so, or, or six or so, um, I told the, the new head of R&D at YF that I was very unhappy because I was responsible for making deadlines, but the processes were not very good. And he said, okay, go re-engineer them. And starting with six people who met every Friday to re-engineer the process, we built a 1,700-person organization with a $2 billion budget, and we totally revamped all of operations globally. Um, we're six people now. Could we become a company of scale? Yes. You build a company of scale by hiring the right people and getting them focused and building the right mission around that and going forward to, 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 to execute and make it happen. But to do that, we need fuel and fuel is capital. And so uh, we have very big ambitions fueled by the right investors and driven by the right uh, intellectual property. So I should mention that we have now um, I think in the last last week, we got another patent. So we now have eight patents, 40 patents pending. Uh, Wilson Sonsini Goodrich is handling our IP. It's very confident uh, in, in what we can do. They actually invested in us. And uh, so, like I said, we, we have big ambitions and we, you know, but, but we're, we're looking to bring the company now to the next stage. And then after that, we know there's another stage. So this is a fairly well-planned uh, growth. Well, I've got all the faith in the world in you, Ira. I think, you know, you. you have the passion and drive and, and background. You have all the components together to, you know, once again, uh, for whatever time it is to be successful. And, you know, I wish you the best uh, of success. And I hope this interview helps connect you with more investors as they see your story. Uh, how, how do people get, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, email, uh, which is in, in the decks. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, first name, we'll, last name. So we'll also put it across the yeah, screen. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's ira.spector um, at SFA therapeutics. Uh, no, dot SFA therapeutics at gmail.com. Uh, that's the best way to reach me. It's, it's in all the documents. Um, uh, and I'm very happy to talk to, to prospective investors. Uh, this, this is my passion. Um, it's obvious. It's I've, I've, I've unretired twice. Uh, my wife is convinced I will never retire. Uh, you know, and, and I'm just wired to do this. Uh, and, uh, I do teach a little bit on the side, but, um, this is this is what you know this is what we want to do we want to change medicine and we would like to find the right investors to join us on this journey super thank you for your time ira thank you very much be well you too take care